welcome to another episode of To Be Perfectly Honest. I'm Corey. I'm Anel. And this is episode two of season seven of Game of Thrones. Welcome. So, what did you think of this new episode? Awesome. Yeah, I I think this has been a long time in the making. We're finally seeing how everything is coming together. We're probably going to have Snow and Danny meet. I can't wait. Da, 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 da. Yeah, I, I've been shipping this for a while. Have you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In my, in my heart of hearts. It's really exciting to see characters that you've seen since season one, but they've never been together mm-hmm. like they have been. Oh, yeah, because they they know what they're doing. They had to separate them out. Well, their storylines are just finally coming to mm-hmm. this place where they all meet. So we all know these characters and their struggles from way back in season one. And it's just... Well, and this is what's really apparent to me. They have matured so much. Um, I mean, we kind of saw this in the first season, our first episode of the seventh season as well. Danny looks way more mature. Just like, bam. But we also see with some other characters too. We've I kind of noticed like um, Melisandre looks like she got some work did. Did you notice that? Well, she probably got a new necklace. The Lord of Light was like, bitch, you need some Botox. (laughs) (laughs) Bam. She's like, I didn't even know I needed it. Thanks. So what I was trying to say a minute ago about the characters that we knew from season one coming together is that we know their backstory. So it makes it that much harder to watch them, you know, kind of be at odds with one another because we know who they who they really are as they're trying to figure each other out so mm-hmm. it makes it a little more um interesting but it also gives me a little more anxiety when i see them meet like oh no i don't you have want this much more to lose now i don't want john to kill Tyrion, and what if you yeah. know danny did not that i think any of that'll happen or maybe it will but you know what i mean it's, oh it just gives me anxiety mm-hmm. for sure um so i felt like some of the themes this week were, um, who are you really? Like, uh, Daenerys was, uh, told by Lady Olena, you're a dragon, be a dragon. Then we also saw John talking to the Northerners where he was explaining to them, you know, that although he is king of the North, he accepts that reluctantly, but he still considers himself a Northerner and he will protect the north no matter what we see it some other places too like uh theon is he really theon now or is he still reek he jumps off the side of the ship without protecting his sister and um also the tarleys we see it both um uh randall tarley randall yeah where he explains to jamie in their scene you know we're tarleys we aren't oath breakers we aren't schemers you know and it's just all this, who are, who are people really? Mm-hmm. I felt like that was the theme for this, for this episode. For sure. I feel like we could break down everyone. I think the most important though, we even started the episode with this is Danny. You know, I think that is her catch 22. You know, she doesn't want to be weak, but at the same time, she has her father that A, she has to be worried of turning into him. And B, she doesn't want people to think that. We already see Cersei later in this episode is using that against her already people don't know anything about her her name alone strikes fear in people because of what the mad king did so 
she doesn't know what to do right now. Is she supposed to go in and just decimate everything? She'll have control of the land. She won't have to worry about enemies. But then that's not what she wants to do. As we hear from Molina, you know, she wants her to be the dragon. I feel like that might be a sneaky Tyrell bitch playing both sides too. Um, I don't know what your take was on that. I didn't feel like it was purely, well, let's have a little talk between us gals. I felt like it was, oh, let me kind of get in here and put a wedge between you and um, a Lannister that I don't like. Well, at the top of the scene, we have uh, Danny and her... Um, council. Yeah, Danny and her council. And they're kind of discussing what's going to happen. And you see immediately Danny pull away from the council and kind of a move like, you know, like we see on Judge Judy. I'm the boss, applesauce. And... You know, we've <laughs> we've always seen Tyrion being such a silver tongue, witty character that he can almost, you know, convince anyone. And both times that he starts to um, tell Daenerys, you know, when, the first time was uh, Varys. When she starts turning on Varys, he goes and attempts to say something to um, kind of protect Varys and she shuts him down. And then he says something again a little bit later. She shuts him down. Mm-hmm. And then you notice at the end of uh, her council meeting, when she talks to, it's not the same scene, but it's the, the same um, it's the same council meeting. And you see at the end of it, she asks to speak to Lady Olena um, afterwards. Well, Lady Olena was the only one she didn't interrupt. And Lady Olena tells her straight up, she's like, you know, you're not a... You're not a sheep. You're a dragon. Be mm-hmm. a dragon. But she also says that, you know, Tyrion, she she says this directly about the hand to the queen. She says, you know, he's he's very, uh, he's a brilliant person. And that she states that, you know, I've met a lot of brilliant people and I've outlived them all. You know, you're mm-hmm. a dragon. Be a dragon. So, hmm. I think you're right about that. I feel like the issue, too, is like she has nothing to lose. And we already know this. She doesn't give a shit. She's outlived everyone basically now. So she is ready to go down in flames. Yeah. Well, she's as long as she takes Cersei with her. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of distrust for Lannisters. And so she might. If I were her, I wouldn't be all the way on board that she could even trust Tyrion. So why not try to shut him down? Okay, so essentially we have everyone is gathered, they're ready to go. Like you were saying, I do feel like this is where we see we don't have a little girl Danny anymore. She's finally become the queen that she is. She's cr- sailed across the sea. She's on her ancestral home. And now she's taking the reins. And that's what I'm ready to see. Um, and from now on, you know, the only person she'll have to blame is herself. Which is a great thing, but it's also a scary thing. Because who knows if she's going to fail. And we'll see later on, some of those choices don't pan out like she thinks they're going to, but they never do. Well, I think she's still leaning towards, you know, being the people's queen. That's why Varys still supports her, and that's why she was concerned about, you know, how she appears to everyone else. How she's saying, we can't just go in and have my dragons flame everyone. And Olena is the one that's trying to kind of push her towards that you see her kind of inching her way into danny's mind like hey or we could burn everyone right let's just do it it'll be fun um in that scene we do get uh get it out there that Tyrion 
um, suggests to Danny that they send a raven to um, John, get him to be an ally. Um, and we see also them meet with Melisandre. So Melisandre is in season seven for the first time. Mm -hmm. She makes it all the way to Dragonstone to meet with Danny, which we kind of knew that that had to be where she was headed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she knew what was up. Now, Danny says, oh, it's an auspicious day for people coming who, who used to be against me. And she's referring to basically um, Melisandre working for Baratheon. Now, we also hear kind of something that we've heard multiple times from Melisandre, and that's this Lord of Light speech. So she said, the darkness is coming. Only the prince who was promised can bring the dawn. And Danny says kind of, well, I'm no prince. And then we have uh, Masande go, oh, well, actually, um, that can be translated to either prince or princess. And there are a couple people who have noted it could maybe mean the union of both. So either prince or princess or the prince and the princess. Um, and we all know that Jon Snow is coming. He's the king of the north. And we have Daenerys, queen of dragons. I'm going to just trust Corey on that one. That's not the way I read it, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to say that's exactly what she's trying to say at all. But I do think that there is the possibility for that union to be blessed. Hey, I'm not shooting it down. Hey, if I could keep John and Danny and they both be mm -hmm. normal and like happy ending, which we know is not going to happen. So let's skip to the uh, last episode of the season where uh, Littlefinger rules the entire mm -hmm. kingdom. And then so. I kill myself. Um, <laughs> Um, she looks really good, but, uh, like I said, she looks like she's had her lips plumped to me and she looks like she might've had a fucking cheek implant or something done. She's always looked good, but I definitely could see where maybe she had an upgrade to that necklace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd be like, Hey, I just wanted to not look like that when I take it off. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll have some gross hey. I'll have some raven's feet if that's cool. Um, so not only do we have Melisandre saying basically the, the prophecy from the Lord of Light and having this correction from Masande, um, but we also learn of Jon Snow. Um, and this is where we first kind of have this introduction of Jon Snow to Danny, And we have Tyrion, who basically is like, well, I'm going to vouch for him. He's great. He's a good guy. And Tyrion is a good judge of character. They went, yeah. um, they went to the wall together. Yep, That's exactly. He, I think has realized from i mean he has a thing he says this before he says this in the books too you know i have a thing for i have a thing for bastards cripples and broken things and he has a good judge of character and i think john snow didn't grow up privileged he doesn't want to just go and fight a war just because he's been insulted he is here for life and death um so then we basically have um this is the point where it's like okay there there's going to be a contact so um Danny basically goes, okay, well, I will go ahead and we can contact him, but he needs to come and he needs to bend the knee. So this is the only caveat to this. Everything sounds great, but it's like, what? No, I don't know if any king of the north bends the knee. Yeah, I don't think that Danny is going to follow through on that, especially once she finds out all that he has to tell her about. White uh, walkers. Mm -hmm. and, yep. Yeah, totally. Um, well, you were saying something about John and. As the water. <laughs> God damn it. Um, 
I don't remember what I was talking about. John, what you was... Were saying, um, you were saying about John and Tyrion. I'll say something. Um, I, yeah, I just think, you know, basically they saw... This is the thing. I'm not saying the Starks are bad people at all, but you have kind of what happened in season one through six so far. You have these Starks that got all self-religious and were like, hey, I'm going to take up this cause. Yeah, it's not like they weren't justified, but they were willing to put everything up into that. And like Rob was like, oh, I'm king of the north. It went to his head. He thought he could do whatever the fuck he wanted and did it. We have Jon Snow who is like, you know what? I'm going to go to the wall. I'm going to live by my principles. He literally died and came back and is only really king of the north because he wants to help protect everybody. You have Tyrion who basically time and time and time again was only doing what was best for his family and got shat on repeatedly. They identify with each other. And so I think that's why we can vouch for each other. And that's why this is going to be a good combination, in my opinion. Yeah, I like it. So then we uh, switch scenes. We're uh, in Winterfell. We have Sansa, John, and Sir Davos. And John has just received the letter from Tyrion. The biggest takeaway from this conversation is uh, that they need numbers. Davos and John both agree that, hey, we're not saying that it's the best choice for you to go down here to Dragonstone, but you're not going to win this war against the Whites with um, without getting some allies. Uh, what kills Whites? Fire kills Whites. They may not kill the Night's King, but they know for sure they kill Whites. Who has fire? Dragons have fire. So it makes perfect sense that John goes down there. Sansa, man, this bitch is a naysayer. I love Sansa, but sometimes I just want to give her a big dose of shut the fuck up. Oh, I feel you. Um, One thing I will say, you know, let's put aside the dragons. They need that fucking dragon glass. And it's only in one place, and it's on Dragonstone. Now, we don't know this yet, correct? This is later on when we get um, this. After he gets the uh, raven from Sam. And this is in a couple scenes down the road, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I think the main thing, too, is like, I was re- kind of reading some people's comments on this. And I, I must say the first watch when I watched this, I felt the same way. I was just like, these people, like, you can't just, they're needy. They're like, oh, stay here, John. It's okay. We love you. We wouldn't want anything to happen to you. On second watch, though, I think if we look at it from their opinion. Their perspective. They is... don't. Yeah, their perspective. They don't know any of this. We, they don't know Danny in their eyes. She is just a fucking Targaryen with dragons. You know, I, I can get where they're coming from. But at the same time, they do, they're going to be fucked and they should know this. After that Battle of the Bastards last season, the, the North is pretty dwindled. You know, this entire show, we've seen Sansa be this like, oh, I'm doing whatever I want. Nah, 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 and not realizing the consequences. We first see this the very first couple episodes when she's like, oh, I love Joffrey. I'm going to lie because I love Joffrey. What happens? Your dog dies, bitch. Like, can't do that. And it's like she saw earlier, oh, hey, when you doubt John in front of people, it fucks them up. What happened in this one? She sees that almost right away and she kind of backs off a little bit. So at least she's learning a little bit. Well, she also had that side eye from Peter, too. Yeah, well... I don't think Peter was 
in the scene with uh, where they very first got word from um, the Raven. But notice about Sansa is uh, she's been in positions where her opinion has not been valued. And from being in these positions where she couldn't have any say in what happened to her and what was going on around her, Sansa definitely feels like her opinion's a little more uh, valued in Winterfell. And with her feeling the freedom to express it, I think sometimes she speaks before it's um before i think sometimes she speaks at times where her opinion should be left for different opportunities okay don't edit all that out i think sometimes she speaks at times before she should she needs to think out her ideas and maybe run them past john so she doesn't make him look like uh his counsel's divided in front of the people that he's supposed to be representing. Yeah, I think of it like kind of like a business relationship. You know, if you're with your boss and you're trying to close a deal, you might want to make sure that your opinion is heard on the matter, but the time and place for it is not in front of the customer. You need a you need like, a united front. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think that's the good thing too is we have you know Davos. He's a good go between between both of them. Mediator. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm trying to think before. Did we ever have anyone like that for them? It doesn't didn't seem like it. Well, Sons has always thought of herself as better than John because she's a true born Stark. Yeah. And even though we know that John's only part Stark now, she has always viewed him as a bastard. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't change anything that he's may or may not be bastard of. Lyanna Stark and Rhaegar Targaryen. Mm-hmm. We'll find out if he's a bastard or not. And if they got married, then mm-hmm. guess who's guess who's gonna be? Well, that'd be interesting. Um, if he had more claim to the throne than Danny, I don't know. I don't know how that show works. And we've, how are we going to prove this? We've gone down. We've gone down the rabbit <laughs> hey, hole. Hey, everybody, uh, talk to Bran. <laughs> he had a dream. <laughs> it is a, in the High Septon's court. We'll take it. Okay, so we cut scene to Cersei, and she is uh, kind of rallying she's for some court. allies. Yes, she's uh, speaking mainly to the bannermen of House Tyrell and telling them all the reasons why she that they should support her. And um, break their vows, break their vows to Elena. And it's interesting because all the reasons that she's giving, um, giving them about why Danny would be a horrible dictator are all the reasons that she is a horrible dictator. dictator. I know. <laughs> um, Seriously. She'll burn down your house. And uh, didn't you just uh, light all of King's Landing up uh, with wildfire? Yeah. Oh, didn't all of your children get murdered kind of uh, because of choices and decisions you made? Hmm. Didn't you order a hit out on your own brother? Hmm. Interesting. Odd. And you can you can kind of see Jamie's eyes trying not to roll as she's going on and on about these things. Yeah, the other thing, too, is like this court that she's holding... I mean, I guess it is just the bannermen for the Tyrells that aren't loyal to them. These are the guys that are kind of on the fence. But um, <laughs> there's not a lot of people here. There's definitely not. And 
at less less re- you like we need these people a b there ain't a whole lot of other ones i mean we already know the dorns aren't with them the other parts of the tyrell aren't the starks aren't so the other thing that we kind of learn in this scene is that um jamie offers randall tarley to be ward of the south if the war is won or when the war is won mm-hmm. and um we don't see uh randall tarley answer but it's kind of up in the air on what he'll do he definitely has made it clear to jamie that um he's not an oath breaker and the tarley name means something but we also know that randall tarley would be an awesome person to have on your team because he's kind of a decorated uh strategist in general yeah Mm -hmm. um yeah i think two things with that that's really interesting first thing is you know he does point out you've swore to your king too so you know where does that does how does that vow supersede i would think it would probably be your you go to the immediate one that you promise so if you're with house tyrell and there's a changing of the guard and the you know everybody knows that this queen shouldn't be a queen that's what I would go with. But it is interesting, you know, having these two conflicting vows. What do you do if you're an honest man? Second thing, this is Sam's dad. And we just saw in the last episode this huge ordeal he made about being a man and having honor and doing all of this. And it's like, is he really going to go straight after having that speech and basically become a traitor? Pretty interesting. Yeah. And if, if he doesn't agree to it, who else does seriously Cer- have? just euron mm-hmm. i mean it might it might be enough <laughs> yeah i was gonna say just euron i don't know if i can phrase it like that after the end yeah, of this episode. crazy son of a bitch um well and that's that's one thing too that's brought up in that court they they say hey she has fucking dragons what are we gonna do and um her new well, maester is like eh, actually more that- to come i do want to say too they were super like the reason that she's trying to rally them so much is like, oh, the Dothraki are coming. Those dirty, savage Dothraki. Yep. Uh, she's kind of like Donald Trump and black people. Pretty much. She's like, <laughs> build a wall. <laughs> she is racist. Yes. Um. Well, she's fear mongering. The funny thing about it is like, too, you know, she's saying oh, you know, they're going to come and enslave your people and, you know, rape your women, blah, blah, blah. But the thing about it is, like, when Danny kind of united the horde and brought them over, I mean, she put an end of slavery, right? So they're not going to be slaving. And theoretically, they probably shouldn't be raping a whole bunch of women. Well, the Dothraki were free anyway. They were um, not, they weren't uh, the slaves that she freed. I understand that, but what I'm saying is if she is anti-slavery over in Essos and she unites the Dothraki into her cause because she kills all the fucking, the big kahunas, everyone that now follows her by default is anti-slavery. Mm-hmm. Like the Dothraki from now on are not going to go slaving because she is anti-slavery. Yeah, correct. Sir. So, um, I mean, that's a huge null point. I mean, everything she's saying is like, oh, if anyone did a little of research. But I mean, there's no internet back then. So once a Targaryen, always a Targaryen. Sorry. So we cut scene and we are at the Citadel. We're with Samwell and Maester Imbros. And uh, they're 
Sam has a stack of books and he's helping the maester to uh, put these books away. Is he putting books away or is he gathering books? I don't know what the fuck he's doing. They're looking at books. That's all they seem to do. (laughs) (laughs) You better like books. Yeah. So um, the important thing about this is he's talking about um, writing this book about the realm after Robert's Rebellion. And um, they kind of go back and forth on what makes an interesting title and what makes it important to be interesting. And I think what we're supposed to gather here is that um, Robert's Rebellion is something that continues to come up. And there are all these comparisons to um, what's going on now and what's going on um, in different kind of lore of the past and um with the citadel and the maesters being what what they call themselves the um record of the memory of the the memory of the past um it makes me wonder if it won't be bran that actually um puts it you know brings light to the fact of john's heritage if it will be something that um samuel finds in the citadel that will be enough proof Oh, that could be. I didn't even think about that. What I keep on getting from these scenes of Sam in the Citadel is I get this impression that the people in the Citadel love the past and history and books more than they love the, the current time, you know, in the present and the people. We constantly have Sam going, hey, <laughs> before it was, um, I came because there's White Walkers. Literally, the end is coming. And oh, don't worry about those things. I'm not going to tell you about it, but don't worry about it. This time, grayscale. Hey, this guy has grayscale. Can we do anything about it? I am writing a a grandiose history, and I want to be remembered about it, and I need a good title. Don't bother me. Like, mm-hmm. So that's what I keep on getting. I think Sam is becoming more and more frustrated, and we'll see later on he takes things in his own hands. Well, it seems to be a common theme in Game of Thrones that these people with talent finally get into a position where that talent can be appreciated. And instead of having them cut to the chase, no matter who they are, they have to earn their stripes before that they can continue. For instance, John was awesome with the sword. He got to um, he got to Castle Black. He still had to train and do all the same stuff that Sam did, who sucked and, you know, earn his stripes before he became Lord Commander. Mm-hmm. And then um, Arya gets to the house of Black and White, and she is scrubbing floors and cleaning dead people before she can, you know, get her stripes to where she's... And then she just said she doesn't want her stripes <laughs> yeah. return them. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of what everyone does, too. Mm-hmm. They get to the point of, you know, they've they've become the master, and then they're like, peace out. John's like, mm, now my watch is ended, drops Mike. Arya's like, peace out. I can survive 10 stabs to the gut. I'm out of here. You know, what's Sam going to do? He's going to get all the information and be like, peace out, Citadel. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what I've been seeing lately. So Kyburn, as we know, studied to be a maester at the Citadel, and he was kicked out because he was overzealous in experimentation. And what do we see Sam is doing? He's taking things upon himself. He's doing experimentation. We see that later in the scene on his own, something that's forbidden. So I can only conclude that he's probably going to get kicked out of the Citadel. I don't know. 
I think what Sam is doing and what Kyburn are doing are similar. The motivations are different for sure, you know, but I think, you know, that spirit of going against the norm is totally what science is all about. You know, even nowadays, like you have to have the audacity and the bravery to kind of do what other people aren't doing. And it's either horrible, the outcome or amazing. You know, that's how we have the cure for a lot of stuff nowadays is because people wanted to do that. It's also how we invented the nuclear bomb. Thanks, Corey. You're welcome. Um, but yeah, I can. I don't see this. I mean, I know that Sam means well, but oh, I I'm nervous for him because we know we have a lot riding on him. We know that there's a lot of knowledge that we need in the Citadel, and as of right now, we only have the one person. Yeah. The other, um, the important thing too to remember in this scene is Sam and Maester Ambrose are in the. I don't want to call it a cell, but in the, uh, yeah, I guess it is a cell with Jorah. And that's when, um, Maester Ambrose says, anyone else I would have shipped back to Valyria right away. But someone like you, because he's, um, a Mormont and a knight, he'll give him one more day to do what he needs to do. Well, the problem is, of course, we know he needs to be around because Danny told him to get a cure. So with the amount of time we're spending with Jorah, we know he has a big part to play. So then um, that's when Sam realizes, hey, he's a Mormont and that um, I was there when your father died. So he's coming back to help Jorah. And it's because of his dedication to, you know, the Lord Commander. Yeah, and uh, not only that, he was snooping around those books and found that uh, Maester Pios had found the cure to Grayscale, but also he found out from the maester that he's been kicking it with, Ambrose, that, yeah, and that same maester died of uh, Grayscale, and that's why it's forbidden. Mm-hmm. Probably all that pus <laughs> spraying God. around. Do not. Yeah, definitely. Um, so then we cut scene to Circe and Maester Kyburn in the Dragon Pit. So this is what Kyburn has been up to. Uh, we First, we see kind of all of the dragons throughout time. And we see, we start with the little cat-sized dragons. So obviously, this is where they were kept. Yeah, it was so cool. It gave me, like, chills to see all these dragon bones. You see them from the cat size mm-hmm. all the way up to um, the most famous, Ilarion the Dread, the dragon that um, Aegon rode. Mm-hmm. And it's it looks about, now, there's a couple people doing comparisons. And if you look at season six, episode nine, and they take a shot and it's like Danny standing right next to the skull. And then they compare this one with Circe. The, the, the skull is definitely bigger than um, Drogon. But if you look at the season seven premiere where Danny's riding on its back, Drogon is definitely bigger than Balerion the Dread. So kind of... Uh, is it Balerion or Ilarion? Balerion is what I have. But I could be wrong. Bigger than the fucking dragon. The one dragon's bigger <laughs> than the other dragon. Um, another thing that is um, kind of interesting is we see the cat-sized dragons, and we see this dragon pit that they're put in, and it's it's teeny. Like, it's smaller than what Danny had her fucking dragons in when... Um, Marine? Was that Marine? Yeah, I think so. Um, in Marine. So that also begs the question. We've already seen this a couple times. We saw her other two dragons get released. When they're flying next to Drogon, they're definitely smaller. Do you think this has completely affected their growth? Or do you think they're going to catch up now that they're free? 
Oh, that's interesting. I never thought about that. But um, it makes sense. Yeah, I'm just wondering if they're going to play catch up now that they're eating lots of people. Well, one thing that uh, was notable to me that Kyburn said is he was questioning why on earth would um, Robert have kept all of these things. And Cersei just kind of, um, you know, oh, brushes it off as, you know, the oh, he, he, these were his trophies, but they'd make him look small. And one thing that you mentioned before, Corey, is that if the Night's King can raise, you know, bones could he raise dragon bones and i don't necessarily think that the knight's king is going to make it all the way down to king's landing maybe he does maybe he doesn't but it is interesting that he still has all of these bones and they've made it on purpose that we know these bones are Uh right in the dragon pits right in king's landing so i don't know if that's gonna have something to play in the future if it was just kind of clinkadink so i have a This is a pretty high thought that I'm not high. (laughs) So if you remember, so Craster made a deal basically with the walkers. And in exchange for his like safety, so every male heir that he had, he basically gave up and uh, sacrificed to them. Correct? Yep. So we know that the white walkers have made deals with people before. What if they make a deal with Cersei? And what if that maybe that deal is those dragon bones? Ooh, that is a high thought, Corey. She's just crazy enough to do it. Have you been doing acid, Corey? Just Have you been opening up that third eye? Right. I'm the raven now. (laughs) 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 Um, Just an interesting thing. You know, um, we, we, that's the only time we've seen them actually work with living people. And it's like, how did that happen? You know, so I wonder if we get far enough. Maybe he'll send a dread raven. <laughs> Can dead ravens go over the wall? <laughs> oh my gosh, that'd be scary. Ah! Okay, anyways, sorry, continue. So, Kyburn shows Cersei what he's been working on. And it's this huge, like, um, kind of like a slingshot, but it's uh, a bow, an arrow, with just a enormous, super sharp, pointy tip that is designed to go right into dragon's brains and head Mm -hmm. and probably anywhere in the dragon honestly but i think it's no coincidence that we see it go right through their head because maybe that um is where you need to take the dragon out just right to the skull i mean most things die when you put them punch them through the head with a huge piece of metal um the interesting not the whites the whites yeah they definitely don't maybe dragon Um, glass one thing that is interesting to me about that is it seems like this technology is being invented concurrently. Like, do you remember Joffrey's bow mm-hmm. that loaded itself? Mm-hmm. It seems like this is a lot of that same technology is being, you know, put to use here. It's interesting to me. Well, it looks I, like this technology is just now being invented kind of thing. Well, I bet they probably, I mean, it's a bow and arrow, but I bet they had it back in, in those days but just on a much smaller scale. Now they kind of know what they're up against so they can plan it in advance. Well, I think that was the first of its kind that Joffrey had. And it's kind of the same thing where it's not just the, you know, the the force being pulled back. It's using a system of pulleys and, and levers and that kind of thing to where when it oh. releases, it's a lot 
more intense. Um, yeah, I think the other thing too is, you know, how this is Kyber makes this, right? So obviously he's a kookpot, but he's really fucking smart and he's able to do it. But if they're going to really kill dragons, remember they got three dragons. They're going to need a lot of these. Are they going to be able to mass produce this fast enough? Because Danny's on the way. They need like the uh, machine gun version of these spears. Yeah, and then like how how are they going to pay for these? <laughs> well, easy. Just find out whoever whoever Euron got to make those ships like <laughs> speed of light. Seriously, God. actually, I did some research and uh, I found a theory that made a little more sense. So, you have pirates. There's no way that there was enough wood on pikes and enough time for them to get all of those ships so quickly. So say they get a fraction of those ships and then they go on this massive like trip to take over other uh, other pirates out there boats and just fight everyone and grab all their boats and I think they probably built them all, but I don't think that lumber was from the island. Now maybe, you know, Euron comes with a plan. So maybe when he was sailing the seven seas, or how many seas did they say there are? There's like thirteen or something stupid, like it's different than what we have. Um, he maybe he brought that lumber. Maybe that was his plan. You know, maybe he did all this beforehand, knowing he was gonna have to do this. I like that he stole the ships from other people. I just, if you look at the timing, it's just kind of like okay, they sailed because we have um, Yara and um, Theon. And all and the ships, on. though, they, they sailed from um, Pike, sailed all the way over to Essos, um, basically form up with Danny, and then have sailed all the way back to Dragonstone. So in that time, he not only built those ships, but he also went and raided other places for their ships and sailed them back, dismantled them, and built them. No, no, no. I'm just saying he has the ships that he was able to build and, that build, and then the other ships he just stole. They all look so similar, though. Well, we didn't see every single ship. We saw the main forefront ones, we, and those were the they ones they sailed that through on the other ones. And it looked like they were all pretty similar. I mean, granted, they could be you know retrofitted with those those things on the top and you know the front pieces and the sails, but yeah, interesting. I don't know. I think it might be something we have to just look past, though. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Okay. So, next scene, we are back with Danny, and they are laying out the game plan. We have the table that has the map laid out, and they've gone out of their way in this series to show us maps anytime that, that they can, because this season especially, I think, is a lot of the strategies um, for what's to come, who's going where to take over what, and if you're not someone who is willing to go off the off the TV show and look up a map for yourself. It's really easy to be confused. Yeah, I've done it a couple times. I thank God I've had you here. Um, and then just like to be able to reference it. It's so nice to be able to. There's actually you can go online to a couple sites. There's um, apps, HBO you can go to. So HBO has an excellent one. Yeah, I definitely recommend that for people that are having questions about anything because it does get confusing, especially when you're having to deal with everyone's names on top of that. It gets frustrating. Oh yeah. Um, so Tyrion basically says that the game plan is that they're going to, um, use the Dorn, the Dornish and the Tyrells to surround King's Landing because 
they want to prove to the people of King's Landing that um, these other well-known houses from Westeros are overthrowing the queen. They don't want outsiders because, you know, they know how that'll look. And so what he does is he, uh, with Daenerys' approval, plans to send uh, Yara Greyjoy to escort um, the Sand Snakes back to Sunspear, which is in Dorne. It's the capital. And, um, then he'll, once the Dornish, um, military get back on the ship, the Greyjoys will escort them back to King's Landing, where the Tyrells will already be there and they can meet up and siege King's Landing. Mm-hmm. And, and basically cut off supplies. Mm-hmm. And while that's happening, um, he suggested to take Casterly Rock, which is the homeland of the Lannisters. And for that, he was going to use the Unsullied and the, the Dothraki. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the, I think a couple points about Casterly Rock in specifics. We we know that the King's Landing siege is going to be probably long and hard if she's not going to take it by dragon force. But Casterly Rock, you have to think, these people are used to fighting armies that come and have parlays they fight in formation so probably you know it, like um for example like during the american revolution you had this Br- these british soldiers that were like very like prim and proper and they marched in line and they did everything and they they didn't think about doing weird creepy you know militia tactics and that's a lot of what helped us get through that war i think same thing here then solely not so much but the dothraki they're gonna fight like savages because that's what they are and i think you know the lannisters are not gonna be ready for that um another big thing is this is where all of the gold is right now well we know the lannisters are one one of the richest houses they've been loaning money to the crown it was them and tyrells um but the lannisters uh are almost broke they've um are they almost broke they've been they owe uh the bravos bank all this money no, that's gonna, that's the king. That's the kingdom. Up. Remember when Tyrion is the the master of Quain, and mm-hmm. he says basically uh, a third of the, what is owed is to the Lannisters, which is fine. A third is to the Tyrells, which they're our allies, but another third of it, or maybe a little bit more than that, is to the, the Bank of Bravos. And if Bravos doesn't get their money, that's when we have issues. So it's like, yes, the Lannisters have been lo- loaning money to the Crown, but. I mean, they've been able to have an army. So if you look at the area and the, the people that are not looking to unite with Danny, there's essentially you have Sam's dad and the people that aren't with the um, the Tyrells. You have the Lannisters and you have the Northerners. Now, the Northerners are too far away, and they're not a rich people. The Tyrells are fractured, and they've been loaning just as much money as the Lannisters have. And the Lannisters have been in the seat of power on the sidelines forever. You know, even if even if the king has been borrowing and borrowing and borrowing and borrowing and borrowing money, you have to think that the Lannister household would have their shit together enough to know if they can or not. Uh, but it's going to be hell to take well casterly rock you know if they were going to take it they have a lannister at the head 
yeah, Tyrion does know his Tyrion does know his way around the um, the rock. The rock. Solid as a rock. Oh, solid. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree. They're definitely depleted. Um, not you know completely to obliteration, but you have to think that there's at least something there that this is going to help Danny. She needs some money. I mean. Right now, she's basically united all of these people, but if she's going to start an empire, she needs to start taking some of that money for herself. And maybe more importantly, she's taking that money away from the Lannisters. You know, So yeah, maybe she isn't able to use that gold for really anything at that point, but the Lannisters can't use that to hire mercenaries or sell swords. So that's all I have to say. Okay, so we hear uh, Lady Olana suggest they won't listen to you unless they fear you, or they won't obey you unless they fear you. So just one more uh, way that Lady Olana is trying to kind of sway Danny against uh, the people and more to gain this power. Mm -hmm. And I do, like, she does have really valid points. She, she says, you know, out of all of the queens, my granddaughter was the most beloved and Look of the happened. people and of the the noblemen now i feel like lady olena you might be bragging a little bit about too much i mean she was really only queen for how many months was that it seemed like three like, but in the um what season was it the shame season that was six. Oh. hmm, hmm. So um, you see Cersei and um, uh, Marjorie going towards, uh, I don't know, they were driving around in their little carriage. Oh, to and, the poorhouse and the orphanages? Yep. Yeah. And um, as Marjorie goes by, people are cheering, they're happy, and yeah. then Cersei, they're like, mm, next. Yeah, I think her point, though, is well made, you know. Yes, you you know the love of the people is something you should strive for if possible but first you have to have a control on your kingdom and you have to have control to where people aren't going to kill you marjorie didn't have that that's why she died all of the love of the people she had the love of people she had the love of religion that's she had why love of the nobles. elena is saying yeah. that fear is so more, she's more making that they fear you she's making valid points i get it but i also I think we were talking about this before. I think there's a little bit of fork to her tongue about it. You know, I think she has alternative motives. But no, who knows? Maybe she just wants to see everything burn. I think it's, to me right now, I feel like it's just that she doesn't trust anybody else to get things done but her. She's been around the longest and mm -hmm. so in her mind she knows best. Well, winter is coming and she's old. This might be the last winter she's alive. So maybe she wants to see her family <laughs> revenge before... You know, she kaboots. Yeah. Okay, so cut scene, and we are with Grey Worm and Masande. And uh, I don't have much to say about this scene, but this, whenever you see two people get it on and fall in love, they're going to die the next episode. So Yeah, I, I think everybody knew that this was a pretty, like, everyone eh, knew. We popped it in here. This it was wasn't the really last strong scene. in the books. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you're my weakness, and you're going to die next episode. I must say, for all the other disgusting shit that we see later on this episode, I really wanted to see a mangled ass dick. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might get Jorah's 
That might be on next okay, episode. If I see, <laughs> see Jorah's gray skin, foreskin flayed off, I'm going to gouge on my eyes. Um, but yeah, I, this was definitely very like just gratuitous. I think it's because we we just needed it to happen so they can, like you said, so they can just die. Um, we needed to form a relationship Masande with them again. needed to get fucking her vagina so, licked a little bit before she dies because otherwise she's just translating. What a great life. <laughs> I think that uh, it is a sweet scene. They seem very like a very lovely couple. Unfortunately, lovely couples and Game of Thrones do not mix. It probably was me. So we cut scene and we are back in uh, the Citadel. And Samwell is doing some super secret agent sneak into Jorah's room. We see Jorah sitting there unexpectedly. And he's he's writing a letter to his Khaleesi. He's writing a suicide letter. Basically, I'm going to die. Couldn't find the cure. I'm going to jump on my sword. And I've always loved you. Yada, yada, yada. But, lo and behold... Who comes to save him? Sam. Samuel Tully. And this is another thing that I'll just tie back into the beginning, how I was saying this is an episode of who are people really? Remember from last episode, Samuel's dad, Randall, I think it wasn't even in last episode. It was in the flashback, you know, before the episode. But we see uh, Randall tell Samuel to say that five times fast. (laughs) Randall tells Samuel You know, what are you going to the Citadel to read about um, better men than you? Well, now we are seeing Sam kind of write out his own history. If he's someone who's able to cure Grayscale and not actually die like uh, Maester Pios, who was the person who kind of uh, sought out and invented the cure, then he'll go down in the history books as being a great man, Mm -hmm. proving proving that... uh, his father was wrong about him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's one thing. Someone who's the person that says, um, Bran thought about it. Can a man still be brave if he's afraid? And Ned said, that is the only time a man can be brave. It's right after the beheading scene. It's like the first episode. Okay. Um, I think this applies to Sam a lot. Now, we look at Sam and we kind of write him off as this character that's like, oh, yeah, he's like kind of the sidekick to Jon Snow and uh, whatever. But he's the one that does a lot of the right things way more often than even Jon does sometimes. You know, we look at him with Gilly. He was the only one that was brave enough to even stand up to everyone in the Night's Watch and go, this isn't right. We need to help her. Let's do it. He's the one that helped Jon Snow. He was like, you know what? You're an awesome guy. Everyone hates you. I'm going to stick by you. Even if it gets my ass kicked or I get killed. He's killed a White Walker. He's killed a White Walker for Gilly. Not because he wanted to or wanted glory or wanted to rage into battle, but because he wanted to protect Gilly. We have him now curing Grayscale. Not because he wants to or for glory, but because he is going to step over that threshold of being scared and do something about it. And so he is brave. So um, we see Sam come in with this cart full of medicine. And you also see the book from Archmeister Pius on rare diseases. And as he opens up the book, you're thinking, what 
the fuck is about to happen. Um, and it goes along with last week, goes from poop soup to pus and pie. And it's truly, truly another disgusting transition. Mm-hmm. I I must say the transition is disgusting, but the the act of peeling off his skin. He's got to remove the entire first layer of epidermis. I, if for anyone who has ever, and this is pretty much everybody, I'm going to guess, you like scrape your knee and it scabs over and you want to peel that scab off, but it's not quite ready yet. Oh my god. It's literally, it looks like a roasted marshmallow and peeling off that layer and then the goop and stuff Mm -hmm. that goes. Folks, this is not for the faint of heart. And he gives Jorah like this little piece of wood and he's like, hey, don't say anything because we're both done for. This is my question. Can a brother get the milk of the poppy? (laughs) (laughs) You know, all the stuff on his cart, he should have had milk of poppy. He's like, you know, it's not the season for the poppies. (laughs) Poppy season's out. Sorry. Bite the stick. Yeah. Apparently Sam hasn't thought of everything. Yeah, But he did think of, let me sip off of this rum before you. Oh, I got a little nap of that. Um, Yeah. It's like, hey, um, maybe you should have went into the section on milk of the poppy. Oh, used for everything. Okay, we use it for literally everything. <laughs> Maybe I should grab that, just in case. Mm. Like, did he need to be awake for that? No. Did we need to be awake for no. that? No. <laughs> He's better. Oh. <laughs> da, 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 da. Game well, of Thrones. At least they cut away before they got to his penis. Oh, he, he doesn't have a penis anymore. <laughs> he joined the unit club. Oh, okay. It's a big club now. <laughs> There's a lot of members. Yeah, they really are. Uh, like that Facebook thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this isn't a real club? Oh. No, Rick. <laughs> no one will ever care about you. Um, and then Varys was like, oh, this isn't a real group yeah. for men without penises? <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll unsubscribe then. Um, so we transition from poop soup to pus pie and we are at the and at the crossroads see that aria is eating a pie and she overhears two men talking now the end at the crossroads is kind of where all the roads and westeros kind of meet and you can go um, basically anywhere from there so i'm not really sure who these two men are but we overhear them talking about Danny's dragon and how supposedly it's said that it's bigger than Aegon's and then the other guy says oh Cersei's just trying to scare people um but if uh but if she lays siege to King's Landing all the prices are going to triple so they're talking about basically politics in the kingdom but Arya is tuned in to what's everything that's going on around her she also Runs into an old friend, Hot Pie. Hot Pie. And he is uh, still baking pies. And he's telling Arya about the pies that he makes and what makes them special and how you really have to brown the butter before then. And he talks about, oh, by the way, he just talks and talks and talks. But he does ask her about um, if the, the big night lady had ever ran into her. And what makes that even funnier is the story that he's telling Arya about how he baked the pies is the same one that he used to just bore Brienne 
<laughs> and Ari has this slick comeback on, huh, I didn't use that in my pies. And she's, of course, referencing how she um, baked the fray boys into the pie. So the main thing that is exciting about this whole interaction here at the end is this is where she finds out that the Boltons don't have Winterfell. And in fact, John is the king of the north. And so that's when we all cheer. I know I did. And that's when she makes the decision to not go to King's Landing, but instead she's going to go home to Winterfell. Mm -hmm. And we really see her wrestle with this. You know, she almost goes down that path to King's Landing when she turns around last minute. Um, This is, you know, we talked about this the other day. Arya is so dead set on this revenge plot, but we see little parts. um, This was when she came across the, the Lannister men we see little sparks of humanity still left in her. And I think this is a good case for that still being there. Um, there's a reason she didn't go through with the House of uh, Black and White. It's because she still has a huge longing and a huge responsibility to her family. And I cannot wait to see what she's like when she actually has the support of her family and what she can add to the resistance. So we cut scene from Arya heading to Winterfell, and we are with John as he gets a raven from Sam. And Sam's confirming that he's been at the Citadel, and he knows that there is a mountain of dragonglass um, underneath Dragonstone. So just as one more reason for John um, to confirm that, yeah, he does have to go down and meet with Daenerys. Um now, this is from this book. This is not first-hand knowledge, so hopefully there's still some left. I'm just saying, you know, who knows if there's really a mountain, literally. Because they built the entire castle at, from that. It was for Well, then from... take that castle apart. Danny don't like that castle yeah, anyway. Yeah, I mean, that's true. So, um, John has a meeting. He gathers the lords of uh, the north together. And he tells them that he's going to meet Danny down in Dragonstone. He tells them that they don't have the numbers to fight the dead without it, and they need allies. Um, He tells them that he's going to take Ser Davos, and they're going to ride south and try to persuade Danny and her crew to fight with him in the north. And, of course, everyone objects. Sansa, popping off of the mouth, look, you need to speak to that man in private. He is the king of the north. She had a whole ton to say until he was like, hey, I'm leaving competent people in charge. And she's like, who? And he's like, you. And she's like, oh, okay, whatever, bye, see ya. Okay, is this Sansa trying to make a power play? Or is this Sansa showing her true colors? Who are you really? You had everything to say, but as soon as John is like, you're in charge, then you perk up looking like Littlefinger. I didn't read it like that. Um... I am not Sansa's biggest fan. Sansa always makes <laughs> Sansa makes poor choices. I feel for her, everything she's been through, but Sansa hasn't learned. She thinks she's learned, but she hasn't. And um, anyway, this is uh, also when John made the really cool speech about how he never wanted to be king or asked to be king. But the North is part of him, and he'll never stop fighting for it. And so um, 
he basically shows his allegiance to the North. So we'll have to see how that comes into play later on, if, you know, when he figures out that he's not really a Stark. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, one major thing we have here is, you know, everyone's kind of been downing him this entire time, but one person that hasn't from the beginning when he was rallying his bannermen was, is Liana Mormont. So she even questions this. Um, now, going back to your point about um, Sansa, to me, I'm reading that differently. Now, I think Sansa's been doing the th- same thing that she's been doing kind of this entire time. We've seen her, and I agree, she hasn't learned her lesson completely, but I think she's starting to realize a little bit more what her actions do. From the very beginning, she was an impetuous little child. And more and more and more, we see that fades away, but she still has these streaks where she still wants to be heard, she still wants to be respected. And I think that's why she looks up to Cersei in that aspect, but she doesn't want to be Cersei. And I don't think she has ill intentions. Now, if she makes the wrong decision and something becomes of it, that's a different story. But I don't think she's going to this going, eh, I got all the power in the kingdom and yeah, and me and Peter. I don't think that either. But I do see little twinges of her um, kind of in this power play on. She doesn't uh, over over John. Like, I don't think she wants to be queen of the north. But I think she wants to uh, have more of a say in what goes on. And I think that is something that Littlefinger can use um, in the future. I think he can play upon that and make it a bigger deal than it is. How much more of a say does she want if she doesn't want to be Queen of the North than what she's getting right now? So we cut scene and we're with John. He's down in the crypt in front of uh, Ned's crypt. And then we see Littlefinger and his creepy, crawly, slimy, greasy ass. And John sees him right away and tells him, look, you don't belong down here. And he's trying to tell John about his, you know, relationship with Catelyn and also make sure to put a little zinger in there to John about, oh, but I guess she didn't like you very much. And then he tells him how not only was he friggin' having a hard on for his stepmom, but oh, I also have it for your sister. What kind of a nasty perv comes down basically to the cemetery where where you're trying to have a conversation with your father and then tells you, oh, I had a huge boner for your mom and your sister. Like, gross. Littlefinger is disgusting. And no wonder John roughs him up and is like, you don't belong down here. Get the hell out of here. And also, I'll kill you if you touch my sister. Well, the important thing is, is he chokes him exactly the same way that his father did in the capital right before Littlefinger betrayed him and had him killed. I think this is definitely reaffirming if there was any doubt that Peter thought he could uh, maybe have an alignment with John, this is kind of a spit in his face, even though he's retarded for, oh, oh, I I plan and da-da-da and I know what people want. It's like... You didn't know that the, all they want is honor and respect and you wanted to go down and fucking talk about fucking his mom and fucking or his stepmom. He's and... playing mind games. And here's what I think. I think as soon as John leaves, he's going to totally try to get in Sansa's head. Um, the last thing that John says about leaving is, Sansa, you're in charge. You're the last uh, Stark in the North. I mean, do you think... Do you think... That Peter Baelish 
is going to be one of these end players. No. I don't either. So I think we got to get rid of him. And I think we're going to get rid of him sooner than later. But he's got to do something to be gotten rid of. He already went down on the crypts and was like, man, I want to fuck your mom and your sister. Man, how does that make you feel like? He's not thinking like he used to. He's desperate. And that's kind of what they say about him, too, is he, Peter Baelish throws shit at the wall and sees what sticks. And he's throwing so much shit at the wall now that it's like a lot of it's not it's not sticking and it's getting in everyone's face. And they're like, what the fuck? Like, Sounds like he should be in the Citadel with the poop soup. Evidently. Um, but yeah, that, I don't know. More to come. Definitely for sure there's something developing. We've seen this from the side glances between them. But I, you know what? I'm not going to say she's my favorite. But Sansa, after the shit she went through, she might not have learned all her lessons. But I think she fucking, she learned a couple. Yeah, so which brings us to the next scene. One of my favorites in this episode. Probably, yeah, it's gotta be, it's gotta be my favorite. Even though she almost eats her. Hey man, Arya looks delicious. She ate all those hot pies from Hot Pie. And... <laughs> you know, she's like, the brown butter sounds delicious. <laughs> yes. So Arya's out in the woods in front of a fire and it's cold and she, it's just her and the horse. And, um... The horse starts getting a little bit uh, agitated, and you see Arya's breath turn cold. And my first instinct was, how in the hell did the White Walkers get so far south? Like, did one get loose? Like, I'm trying to figure it out, because you know when White Walkers are around, everything gets, like, even colder. I, I at first thought we had, like, somehow we skipped enough to where she was just outside of Winterfell. And I was saying, oh, fuck. <laughs> like shit is coming yeah it scared like, me to yeah. death i was like no i'm like what Arya about black die I'm like what about black rock like black castle castle, castle black, black. <laughs> castle black rock the whites the black castle <laughs> yeah i was like Arya cannot die yeah. um and then we see some wolves and instantly i knew because i had kind of discussed some we literally just talked about this couple days ago yeah not even related Mm -hmm. where are the wolves at yep oh and they came back this episode they saved all that cg budget for this episode and we see nymeria and uh aria says this isn't you regarding uh nymeria coming with her back to winterfell because nymeria is wild now she's not a domesticated direwolf she's a leader of this pack of wolves and uh, it relates back to season one where Arya had told her father that this isn't me when he was trying to domesticate her and say, oh, you'll marry a prince one day and you'll wear dresses and yada yada. And she's like, the, you know, that's not me. And so they share this moment of realization that uh, I guess respect for each other, like you do you, I'll do me. And uh, that's where we leave it. So, I don't know. It'd be really cool if Nymeria played a bigger part in the wars to come. But um, if we don't see Nymeria again, I thought that was a cool send-off. Yeah. You know, there's always the season finale. So, So, that uh, brings us to the last scene of the episode, which is a big one. And that is the Greyjoys. And the Sand Snakes are heading back to Dorne. They're going to Sunspear to start the plan that Tyrion kicked off. 
um, at the meeting back in uh, Dragonstone. And we have a, uh, well, we have Alaria and Yara who are being so Dornish. Hornish. AKA Hornish. lesbians. Um, super like over like, oh yeah. I'm going to impenetrate you or whatever, oh. <laughs> whatever she says. Like, oh, you have a foreign invader. Yeah, yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, oh, does, she's got, does she have herpes? Like, mm, oh, Samuel might need to help you with she, that. Then, it, like, then I get the like weird vibe. She's like, oh, fan, you're going to do anything about it. Like, I'm like, oh, are you like trying to get your brother who didn't have a dick <laughs> to like, join in? Like, he's like, oh, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> Um, As her and Alaria are about to get get down to the nitty-gritty, Alaria tells Theon to basically fill up her wine. And Yara's like, hey, he's not your servant. Keep touching me. But he's not your servant. And she's like, oh, well, what is he? Well, he's my protector, she says. And uh, (laughs) Alaria's like, well, is he going to protect you from this foreign invader? And that's when, boom, crash. Uh And all hell breaks loose. So uh, we're like, what the hell is going on? And to me, Corey, I don't know about you, but it reminded me, it was reminiscent of uh, Battle of Blackwater, except for crazier. Um, We see Euron's huge ship and there's this huge bow that uh, doubles as a weapon. It like will crash down and build a, it basically connects his ships to your ship with like a, a bridge and it also has like hooks on it that like hook into the ship so it can't get away. And we have these huge, huge hunks of shit on fire. Like, Everything's on fire. Fucking hunks of shit. It's like crazy town. Yeah, it's raining fire like the dragons are there. There's just so many of the bad Greyjoys that. So many of the bad Greyjoys, you're on a ship and it's on fire. <laughs> like, so you're in a small area, you have 100 to 1. And your ship's on fire. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, not ideal. Uh, Euron, at the end of this scene, he captures Yara. And you see Theon basically have to make a decision if he's really going to be his sister's protector or if he is going to freak out. Could he really do anything in that situation, though? Well, I knew instantly when I saw his face. Yeah. So... Theon jumps off of this damn ship, but like you were saying, what could he do? And ultimately, I mean, he may be crazy like a fox because had he had, you know, lunged forward to fight Euron, obviously Euron's going to slit his throat, but in order to fight Theon, he'd have to kill Yara because he can't hold on to Yara and fight Theon at the same time. I mean, he could, but he has a knife right up to her throat. He just slit her throat, watched Reek freak out and then slit reek's throat so it may be the best move that he could have done is to jump off that ship because it kept yara alive only reason i'm positive that it kept yara alive is i had to go to the hbo uh (laughs) show app and make sure that yara is still alive and yara is indeed still alive elia is still alive and the youngest sand snake is still alive yeah Mm -hmm. um so one thing you kind of mentioned is if you notice at the end here, we have 
everyone from um, Euron's crew is basically going through. They're cutting out the tongues of the people on the board. Now, you might just be like... That are still alive or the dead ones? They're still alive. Um, There might be some dead ones, too, that are pretty fucked up. Um, One thing that you might think is, oh, well, they're just fucked up, crazy-ass people. But if you remember when we were talking about Euron, um, when he first came uh, on the Isle of Pike, they basically said, oh... I thought that you were, you know, going off on adventures and you are so crazy that you tried to sail to the end of the world and that your crew was so scared of that, that they tied you to the mast. And when they survived it, you cut out their tongues so they couldn't mutiny against you and they couldn't say anything about you. And so that's actually what I believe he's doing here now. He's cutting out all of their tongues and he's taking those people from the Greyjoys and adding them to his own fleet. So he's taking the Greyjoys and adding them to the Greyjoys. Yes. So the (laughs) Eura's Greyjoy army, Mm -hmm. the one that went off in the 20 fastest ships, all of those that are not dead, he's basically cutting out their tongues and he's going to basically take them and put them as slaves on his ship. Sweet. So he's now increasing his army. So he has even more. He doesn't need those pussy ass ships because he has awesome ships. Sweet. And now he has his presence for Cersei. Sweet. And I think that's the one thing that we uh, forgot to mention is that the reason that Ilya is still alive is that is going to be Cersei's present. Mm-hmm. Because. In our opinion. Yeah. Well, basically, we all know Cersei likes to torture people. Uh, not only is there Alaria, but there's her daughter. The youngest sand snake. Okay, we're just whatever her name is. So I think one of the major things here is is that not only it's Alaria, but it's her youngest daughter as well. So maybe we're going to see something where Cersei is going to torture the youngest daughter in front of Alaria, and then maybe burn her alive. I don't know what she's going to have in store for her. Maybe she's going to give her grayscale. Interesting. And then cut off her flesh. <laughs> it's probably the worst thing I've seen in a long time. Um, you know... Danny lifts me up, but then Euron comes and burns down the ships. Like, I felt so up, and now I feel so down because I just see, you know, that's the thing. I think we might have talked about this too, but this one affirms it. Euron is a crazy son of a bitch, but goddamn, he's a, he's a fucking capable, hot. he's kind of sexy and a creepy ass. Like, yep. you're like, oh, Bad you're hot, voice. but you're going to kill me like bad boys um yep so um in this episode we kind of got a feel for what the setup is for these wars to come um and it's already begun we see euron take over the uh defected Greyjoys, control of yara he also has the gifts for cersei we have uh Arya heading back north. Instead of going to kill Cersei like she intended, she's going to try to head north and see her brother John. What are the odds that she sees him before he leaves? Probably not good, but at least Sansa should be there and perhaps Bran will be there as well. We'll also see um, John go down to Dragonstone and John and Danny will be together for the first time. Um, that should be interesting. She doesn't know yet that that's her nephew. He doesn't know that that's her aunt, but um, we have to have a meet first. We also have 
um, Jora and his grayscale and Sam. We got Sam peeling off scabs and uh, saving his life. So we have a lot of inter interesting scenarios that, uh, you know, it's still anybody's guess on what's going to happen in the wars to come. The only thing we know for sure is Hot Pie is going to die and Grey Worm too next episode. Yep, it's already done. It's HBO, you crossed them up. <laughs> um, you know, we, we see, I was kind of talking about how the Dothraki are going to be kind of the wild card for Daenerys because they've, you know, this fighting style, they're, they're more savage. No one's seen that before. So as formidable as Casterly Rock is, the people that are trained there are still used to this Westerosian style of fighting. So I think this is going to take them by surprise kind of a mirror image of those Dothraki is Euron. Euron's this wild card for Cersei. He does not play by the rules. He comes in when you least expect it. You cannot underestimate underestimate him because he's savage. He has experience. And it's like he's been all over the world, so you don't know what he has up his sleeve. We talked about this the other time. What what has he found? You know, what made him sail back and decide to come back? We don't know. Maybe he has a couple pieces of Valyrian steel. Maybe he has something else. And how do you think Jamie's going to feel when uh, Euron brings back the gift for Cersei? Remember, he went all the way to Dorne to get Marcella and well, we already kind of brought know her back in Cersei, a box. We know how Cersei feels about Jamie. I mean, we had that little reunited um, with them, but. She said straight up to him, you don't even have a hand. Like, she she sent him to go save her daughter, and he brought back her corpse. He failed. He did not capture their killer. He failed at that. He came back. He's really done nothing. So, what are the odds? Are you shipping Cersei and Euron? I think that would be, like... I mean, can you ship that? That is the <laughs> I don't know. worst... I mean, Union. Um, yeah, so overall, I'm just really looking forward to this next one. I think we really started something here. Um, you know, I kept on getting the feeling, this is just kind of another season. We only, like we said, we only have 11 episodes left until it's done. We got to get stuff on the ball. We got to get rid of some of these extraneous characters. Peter Baelish, do you feel like he's going to be a, a, one of the last man standing? I don't. And we might have Theon come back and do something right before he gets. You don't think Theon's dead in the water like Jack? No. Nope. Nope, he'll come back. Someone will find him. Depends on how we end this. I mean, this is the thing, is it's ending prematurely. Right? You think so? Well, I mean, the books will continue to go until they're done. This we're ending and putting a cap on. And so they have to accelerate things and things are going to be different than they would at the end. Naturally, if it went out, I think it, we'd have, I mean, we could have six more seasons. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, it could go on and on and on and on. Um, but yeah, I, and maybe there will be something like that. But um, yeah, for the, the people in the end end that don't die here in this next season, my money is just on Snow and on Danny. Everybody else, all bets are off. I think the rest of Danny's ships need to go north with John. Fuck Casterly Rock. Go up there. 
meet those friggin' walkers at East 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 Watch. I feel like that is just gonna. The thing is, is if you look at it right now, who really has seen White Walkers? No one in the Sam? north besides <laughs> besides John and uh, Davos. Didn't Ed go? Ed. The one who was like, Bran, Bran who? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, like, they're they're at the wall. Oh, you mean like the, south of the yeah, wall? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, we have Davos, Melisandre. Melisandre, I mean, isn't in the north anymore, though. Um, We have uh, the Hound. He's not Sandor. in the north really anymore. I thought we were saying south of the wall. Well, I mean, like in the the north, like we're talking about, you know, her taking her ships, going up to the north, and then them kicking ass. The problem with that is, is the north, like if you look at that as like a country, mm-hmm. there's Jon Snow was the only one who really saw anything. But all the wildlings did. Yeah, but half the wildlings are dead. Yeah, but there's still enough to go on. Well, not enough, but and they're the ones... they're not even there anymore because they're on the wall. You know what I mean? Well, what's the point of who's seen it and who's not? What because was your point with that? My point with this is, is essentially, they don't know the real threat of this, so they're not going to be doing this until everything else in the realm is figured out. What's going to cause them to do something with that is when shit comes down and they get attacked and when that happens the north will be crippled unless bran can help to emphasize the uh threat yeah that i can see that too but will he make it in time i mean these ravens are traveling at the speed of light just fucking straddled shit ton i of... guess more well not will he make it in time but can he convince them i mean what's the difference between bran saying it and what john said well bran can tell you like the last time you took a shit like oh you don't believe me uh, you remember this time yeah you no for, one was watching. he's like oh i can tell you last time i took a shit war goes in and is like oh you're taking a shit and then you're like what i heard someone and then you're like take a shit take a shit and then all of your life is oh take a shit <laughs> are you that's your take hor- hodor and yeah. on that note folks um, as always, you guys can subscribe and like us on iTunes. Make sure you do that. That really helps us out. Um, you can also go to our website at tobeperfectlyhonestpodcast.com. There you can check out our other podcasts and leave us some feedback. And as always, stay perfectly honest. I'm Corey. I'm Anel. We'll see you next week.